Amen. God is faithful, isn't he? We're going to talk about that a little bit in our service, this, or in our message this morning. You can be seated for, for a moment. We'll read and we'll stand in just a moment to, to read our portion of Scripture. But, as we all know, another year has passed into the past with all of its victories, all of its defeats, all of its blessings, and, and all of its, well, if we look at it biblically, it was all blessing, wasn't it? Or to be more specific, all of those things that happened in the last year, good things, bad things, there were plenty of those, indifferent things, they were all put to the good purpose of our salvation by our sovereign God. And that's a great way to, to remember the past year, by remembering that God has used it for his purpose. New Year's Day is often a time for reflection, a time for resolutions and for fresh starts. I know it is really, it's kind of a rather arbitrary boundary. Today is just another day, no different than the day before it, other than trying to remember to write the correct year on checks and forms and anything that you might fill out. But it is also a good sort of psychological boundary, a good time for us to, to take stock of the past 12 months and, and make adjustments and be reminded of what's important and what's not and, and make decisions on how we can decide to make better choices over the next 12 months. Uh, next week, we're going to get back into our study of the book of Mark, but I want to take just one more uh, week here and take a look at something a little different. You know, if we were able to go back through this past year and sort of calculate how much time we've spent doing different things, uh, what would the results look like? How much time did you spend working or sleeping or exer- well, we won't talk about that one. Or reading or studying um, on your hobbies. How much time did you spend? How about how much time you spent worshiping, reading your Bible, helping others, being thankful? How much time did you spend worrying? Oh, now that, one's, that one hurts, doesn't it? How much time did you spend worrying in this past year? I'll bet that's a big one. Because we do that, all of us, me included, we do that a lot. Why is that? Is it okay to, that we do that? If so, is it, what is it okay to worry about? What should we not worry about? In this new year, how can we reduce the amount of time that we worry? Well, those are the things that we're going to talk about this morning. Our text for today is Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be reading verses 19 through 34. And if you know your Bible, if you know the book of Matthew, you'll know that this section here, sort of at the end of chapter 6, is right smack in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave. So let's read from verses 19 to 34, Matthew chapter 6. If you haven't turned there, do that now. And let's stand together as we hear our Lord teach. 
beginning in verse 19 of chapter 6 of Matthew. This is Jesus speaking. He said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we are so thankful that you have given to us your word. We thank you for this portion of your word. We thank you for what it teaches us. We thank you for how it confronts us, how it corrects us. And we pray, Lord, that as we take a few moments to look at this passage, that you will bless our time. We pray that if we would come away saying that it's been... uh, joyful and profitable to sit uh, in this place this morning and to hear your word opened. And so we pray you would bless us. We pray that your spirit would be the one to teach us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So as I mentioned, this is right in the middle of the, the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is talking here about our conduct. He's giving us uh, the, the, the laws that we are to live by as members of his kingdom. He's talking about our actions and about our behavior, about our conduct, uh, what we do, how we live as Christians. And in this larger passage that we read, verses 19 through 34, he is telling us that, that we are to be single-minded and that that mind, that single mind, that focused mind is to be occupied with the things of God. We are to be 
laying up those treasures uh, in heaven. We are to be focused on trusting God. We are to be focused on the kingdom of God. But specifically this morning, we're going to look at verses 25 through 34. Specifically, uh, those verses. Though they are part of this larger discussion, which itself is part of the larger uh, sermon that Jesus gave, this section, verses 25 to 34, is a a distinct unit of thought, and we're going to, for the most part, restrict ourselves to them. And we're going to see that, that these words teach us this morning that we are not to be preoccupied with goods, with things, but we are to be preoccupied with God. And to hear this, to see what Jesus teaches us this morning, we will see that he gives to us, first of all, a negative command. He tells us what we should avoid. Then he gives us a positive command, what we should seek, what we should uh, pursue. So we'll start and, and actually spend the most time this morning on the negative, on what we should avoid. And the command that Jesus gives us to, to get us into that is right here in verse 25. He says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Don't be anxious. Don't suffer from anxiety. Did anyone experience any anxiety over the past week? Was anyone stressed? Was anyone overly concerned about anything? Were you worried about things? You don't need to answer. I know the answer. I know it for me. I know it for you. Verse 25 says, Jesus says in verse 25 that you are not to do that, that I'm not to do that. We're not to be anxious about, he says, about your life. That is about the things in your life. Things that may even be important things. Don't be obsessed with them. First, notice the word there at the beginning of verse 25, therefore. We like to point that out when we see it because it connects what we're going to talk about with what's gone before. And we saw that that what goes before is his, his discussion about treasure and about laying up treasure in the right way and not being able to serve two masters and to be single minded in our service of God. Since we cannot serve God and money, or earthly riches, material things, and since those earthly things are bound to vanish anyway, and since our focus and our effort is to be in laying up treasure in heaven, that is, focusing on those things that have eternal value, not just uh, temporal value, because all of that is to be true, Jesus then says, therefore, because that is all true, Don't be anxious about these physical things. To be anxious, of course, means to be worried about something, unduly worried, to be unduly concerned and upset and and preoccupied. Uh, Dare I say obsessed? Because very often worry becomes obsession, doesn't it? Tunnel vision, where we can't think of anything else except the thing that we're worried about. And the command here is don't let your mind be that way. Don't be anxious about your life. Don't be consumed by concern about the material, about the temporal. That's a good paraphrase. Don't be consumed rather, 
by concern about the material, about the temporal. Paul takes it even further in Philippians 4.6 where he tells us, be anxious for nothing. Don't be obsessed with anything like that. Now, almost immediately here, we all feel convicted. Uh, I hope because we all worry and we're hearing that Jesus says, don't worry. Don't be anxious. One of the things we do best, or at least most often probably, is worry. And I think we do it so well because we've given ourselves over to the practice of it so much. We are, as my mom used to say, we're worry warts. She would say, don't be a worry wart. That's what Jesus is saying to us today, this morning. Don't be worry warts. And he begins with this overarching, general, negative command. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat specifically, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And then in verses 26 through 30, he sort of descends into some particulars and explains that a little more. And then he'll summarize it in verses 31 and 32. And as he speaks of of this in all of these verses, we can draw out of the words of our Lord here several things. We're going to look at five reasons why we should not be anxious. Uh, Let me give them here to you briefly and recommend them to you this morning as reasons that we should not be anxious for anything, that we should not be a worrywart. The first thing is that we should not be anxious because being anxious is misguided. It's misguided. It's ill-advised. It misses the mark. It's a foolish endeavor to be anxious. Jesus speaks here of two categories. In verse 25, he speaks of your life. He says, don't be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about the things that sustain it, food and drink. And then he says, don't be anxious about your body, the ways to clothe it, the ways to protect it. Now, those are very basic things. And if we're not to be obsessed and anxious about those things, those critical things, what does that tell us about the other things, the things that we typically do worry about? that we should not be anxious about them either. As Paul said, be anxious for nothing. To be anxious about those things is to be anxious about things that you shouldn't. It's misguided. Jesus says that those are misdirected concerns because he says life is more than those things. Life is more than even those important basic things of food and clothing. And sometimes even Christians fall into this trap. The, think, the trap of thinking that because we, since we live because of our bodies, that we live for our bodies. And much of our culture feeds into that. But our Lord says, and we should be the first ones to understand, that life is more than those things. And he says so right there in verse 25. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? This is an argument from the the greater to the lesser. Our physical life is first and foremost a gift from God. 
Our bodies don't give us life. God gives life to our, our bodies. Even our food is of no benefit to us unless the Lord makes it so. And if he has given us that, if he has given us uh, if he has created us and given us life and formed our bodies in his own image and provides food and clothing for us, which he does, don't you think that we should be calm about that? That we should not be anxious because we know that he will take care of our most basic needs. And if we shouldn't be anxious about those important things, how much less about things that are in reality much less important? which to the, to the worrywart, to the one with tunnel vision, to the one being obsessed, whether it's you or me or whoever it is being uh, worrying, being anxious, those things seem like to be the biggest thing. But being anxious about these physical things, Jesus tells us here, is misguided. It is worrying about things that we need not be worried about. So that's the first thing, is that to be anxious is misguided. The second reason to not be anxious is because it is useless. Don't be anxious because it's useless. One of the most practical reasons not to devote an inordinate amount of time and energy that that some people do to worry is because it doesn't do any good. We think it helps, but it doesn't. And we'll even admit it at times that it doesn't help. But we still seem to think it does because we do it so much. Look at verse 27. Jesus says there, And which of you, by by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? The answer is no one. Worry is a totally fruitless activity. If anything, it can only shorten your life. You may be able to, be, to, to worry yourself to death, but you can't worry yourself to life, into a longer life, into a better life, into a single extra day, a single extra hour. It's like the, the mouse on the treadwe- treadmill, running and running and running and not getting anywhere. That's a picture of the person who is anxious, who is obsessing about the stuff Even the important stuff, as Jesus mentions here. Such a person may be a great worrier. And I know some of those. People who excel at worrying. You may know some. You may be one. But it is useless. In the parallel passage to to this passage over in Luke, in Luke 12, 25, Jesus says... If then you are not able to do such a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? If you can't add to your life, is where that follows, why are you anxious about it? It's just useless. And worrying about it, by worrying about it, you can't add a minute to your life. Uh, Corrie Ten Boom, you all know her, she said once that worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength. And that's true. It does nothing positive. So it's useless to be anxious. So we should not be worried, not be anxious, because it is useless as well. The third thing that we can see here is that we should not be anxious because it's dangerous. 
to be anxious. Undue worry, undue anxiety is not just sort of neutral. It's not just a thing that doesn't offer any benefits, but it's a positive, negative, a positive danger to our spiritual well-being. Look at verse 24. Backing up just a little bit, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Why is that? Because that is being double-minded. It's trying to give allegiance to two different lords. And Jesus says, rightly, you can't do that. And because you can't serve both God and riches, Jesus says, therefore, don't be anxious for your life. Don't be anxious about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, and anything else. Because if that is where your focus is, your time and your energy spent there, then according to what Jesus says above, that is where your heart is. And if that is where your heart is, that will lead you to serving the riches, serving the physical things, serving the food, serving the, the clothing, serving that aspect of your life instead of serving God. Your trust will then be not in God, but in how you can attain those things that you think you need. And that is idolatry. It is dangerous because it reorients our thinking. And it reorients us to thinking that those things are the most important things and that they're the things that we need to pursue. Remember the rich young ruler came to Jesus. Jesus had the conversation with him. And this man realized that he could not serve both because Jesus pointed it out to him. But he chose, tragically, to walk away because he had great possessions. Because that's where his focus, he felt, needed to be. Because he had great possessions. Or rather, sadly, because they had him. Because he was anxious for his possessions. Worry and anxiety is dangerous because, beloved, it is a form of idolatry. Paul says that covetousness is idolatry in Colossians 3.5. And what is coveting if not worrying that we don't have enough, that we don't have what we think we need to have, what that other person has, what we think we need, we covet. And if we're coveting, Paul says, we're being an idolater. Anxiety about things is the opposite of a virtue that Paul extols, the virtue of contentment. Anxiety is the opposite of contentment, which the Bible says is something that we are to have. Philippians 4 talks about that. Worrying replaces our trust in God to provide for us with something else. And it entices us to begin to doubt God and to rely on ourselves, to rely on our own methods, our own devices. And anything that tempts us to rely on ourselves or anything else other than God is, by definition, idolatry. 
And that is a dangerous thing. So, we see that we are not to be anxious because it is misguided, it is useless, it is dangerous. Fourth, because it is unnecessary. God knows what you need. And this takes us into the details of the, of the rest of the passage here. Verse 32, the end of verse 32, gives us the overall reason. He says, your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, that you need all of these things, that you need food, that you need clothing. Let's pause there for just a moment and think about what a comforting thought that is. What a comforting thought for the child of God. And if we will let it, if you will let it, it is an anxiety-removing truth. To know that your God, your heavenly Father, the sovereign who created the universe, who created you, who redeemed you, knows your needs. And that he will, as Paul said in Philippians 4.19, supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Not only does he know them, but he has promised he will provide what you need. Your needs are not a surprise to God. He sees them. We mention very often in prayers and such in our services that he knows them better than you do. So do you see, brothers and sisters, that this this is an issue of trust. This is an issue of faith in God. Do we, do you believe that he will do what he has said that he will do? In any situation, in any trial, in any providential act of God... You do not need to worry because God knows it and he is in control. Two very central aspects of our understanding of who God is that we get from the scripture is that he knows everything and that he is sovereign and that he is good. And when you put those three together, there is no need to be anxious. It is unnecessary. Jesus here gives us two examples of this fact. Not only that your Father knows your need, but that he supplies your need. That you need not be anxious. He knows your need, and and in the the way that Jesus lays this out here, these two basic needs, food and clothing, he he knows your need for food. Our most basic need, of course. In verse 26, Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Now, as Jesus is standing here giving this sermon, we can imagine that there were probably birds around, and as Jesus spoke this, he may have even gestured to the birds specifically and directed the people's attention. You know, here's an example. And the point here is that birds and any animal of God's creation. Birds do not sit and and fret about what or if they're going to have what they need to sustain their lives. They, in their own 
birdish way trust that God will provide for them. Now, Jesus, of course, here is not teaching slothfulness. He's not encouraging laziness. Because it's also the case of the birds that they do not simply sit in their nest and wait, unless they're the baby birds, but the birds don't simply sit in their nest and wait for God to bring food along like a divine pizza delivery boy, and neither should we. They go, they fly, they, they hop, they search and gather. The big ones swoop down and with big talons grab and, and things like that. They do what God has given them to do, but they don't go to extra, extravagant means and they don't stress, they don't worry about it. They do what birds do, which brings glory to God, and God feeds them, which brings glory to God. And it's the same with us. God is not saying that we should simply sort of sit back and wait for divine intervention to provide our food. Proverbs 19.15, oh, Proverbs has a lot to say about those who, who are slothful. Proverbs 19.15 says, Slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. See, that's the result. Proverbs 24 says, The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. And Paul in 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says that if a man will not work, neither should he eat. So Jesus is not advocating, he is not teaching slothfulness. But the point is that God provides for his people. Notice the wording in verse 26 too, I love this. It says about the birds that they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet, he says, your heavenly father feeds them. See, he is there, the birds, he is their creator. But Jesus points out that he is your heavenly father. Again, this is another one of those lesser to the greater type of arguments. If he does the small thing, relatively, of feeding the birds, how much more, Christian, will he take care of you and give you the things that you need? After all, verse 26 says, are you not of more value than they? The birds, as, as, as wonderful as they are, as glorious as they are, as much as they glorify God in, in doing their birdly things, you are made in the image of God. They are not. So how much more, of how much more value are you than the birds? He also knows your need for clothing is the other illustration here in verses 28 through 30. He says, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Goes on and says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Another illustration from nature. Another illustration that he probably could have pointed to right there, lilies. And lilies of the field, these are wildflowers. What about them? Jesus says they don't stress, they don't toil, they don't spin, they're not concerned and worried at all about how they look or, or what they are going to put on. They're not concerned about their petals or the, the 
pH balance or the nutrient mix of the soil. They simply, in their lilyish way, trust God to care for them. And they glorify God. And God clothes them. And that glorifies God. Jesus goes on and says that, that if God so clothes not only the beautiful lilies, but also, he says, the common grass of the field, something which is around for a very short time and is fuel for the fire, Jesus says that if God takes care of so humble a creation as the grass, will he not much more clothe you? Listen to how Paul puts it in Romans 8.32. He says, he, that is God, who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up over, or delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? That is everything that we need. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. It's unnecessary. It's dangerous. It's useless. It's misguided. One more thing is that we should not be angry because, or be anxious because it is sinful. We might recognize easily that it's useless or even that it's unnecessary, but do we also, and we should also, recognize that it's sinful to worry? Again, God says that he will, that he does provide for us, and we, Christian brothers and sisters this morning, we must believe what God has said. And when we worry, when we're anxious, we're saying that we don't believe those promises. Yes, we work. We get up. We do what God calls us to do. We labor. We toil. But we're not to be anxious because we also trust that God will provide. He provides through various means, but he provides. When we don't trust him, we are not acting in faith, right? And what does Paul say? In Romans 14, 23, he says, whatever is not of faith is sin. If you're not trusting God, you're mistrusting God. And if we're mistrusting God, we're sinning. And really, to be honest, there is, there is no more serious or more common sin within the Christian church than lack of faith and lack of gratitude. To gratitude in receiving the loving care and provision of our Heavenly Father and for us to doubt that it will continue to take it for granted is a great sin. Because what are we doing when, when we worry? What are we doing when we're anxious, when we're stressed about something? We're doing one of two things. One is that we are saying, perhaps, that God cannot provide for us. That he is, I don't know, weak, impotent, that he doesn't know, maybe, what we have need of. So he's either impotent or he's ignorant that he doesn't know that he cannot provide for us. That's one, op, one possibility. The other only possibility is that God will not provide for us. That though he has the ability, he must not want to provide what we need. Now, I don't know which way you want to go with that, but either way it is sin. It's saying that God is unknowing, unable, impotent, or that he's evil, that he doesn't care. 
But he said that if we ask him that he will give us what we need and that, that he knows what he needs and he supplies what we need even more than our earthly fathers will provide for us. He says he will provide for us. He goes on to say that being anxious and being, or being worried and being preoccupied with these things is not the mark of a Christian, but it's the mark of the unbeliever. Look at verse 31. He says, therefore, again repeats this, do not be anxious, saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? He says, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. Now speaking of the Gentiles there, he's using that as, as, as a picture of those who do not know God, who don't see this, and they don't recognize the care of their Heavenly Father, and they surely don't recognize the higher spiritual reality of life and the need for having a mindset that is focused on God, that is oriented to that reality. They do worry then about these other things because they don't recognize a God who gives. Neither do they thank him for what he does give them in the realm of what we call common grace. You're familiar with common grace. That's the, the understanding that comes from Scripture that God sends the rain on the just and the unjust. That he gives to all of his creation good things, good gifts. He causes the sun to rise on the just and the unjust. That's common grace. And he gives to the unbelievers the things that they need as well. But they don't recognize that. Romans one twenty one sort of focuses on that when it talks about the sin of, of the unbeliever and it says that they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him for the things that he's done. But thankfulness is one of the primary marks, isn't it, of the Christian. Instead of worrying about these things, what you will eat and drink and what you will wear, consider the care of God for you. And in all of those things then, give thanks. Don't worry. Be thankful. Don't be anxious over what you need. To do so is misguided, it is useless, it is dangerous, it is unnecessary, it is sinful. Well, then what's the alternative? And we'll just look at this very briefly. But it's the positive command that Jesus gives. As members of the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ, what should we be focused on? What should our, our attitude be towards these things? What should our focus be? The words of Matthew 6.33 gives us the answer, gives us our Lord's answer in well-known words. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first that. Now, that doesn't mean seek first the kingdom and then you can worry about all these other things. It doesn't mean seek first God's kingdom chronologically first. But we are to have that as our priority. Seek first, primarily, exclusively, even the kingdom of God and his righteousness. To seek the kingdom is to set your mind on things above. And the way the word seek is used here in this sentence, it, it refers to a continual action and means to be absorbed, not in worrying, not in the things that we can't change, but to be absorbed in the search for making a continual and strenuous effort to find something and that something that we are to seek out, to be focused on, is the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
Remember the man in the parable who, having found a hidden treasure in a field, in his joy, it says, went and sold all that he had to buy the field. That's the way we're to be. To be seeking Christ's kingdom. Those are the things that are important to set our minds on things above, as Paul said. To be concerned with the things of God, to seek his rule, to submit to it, to submit to his authority, to love what he loves, to hate what he hates, to pray, Your will be done. And herein is found God's will for our lives and the corrective for a worried, anxious outlook. Because to seek the things of the world is a formula for worry uh, and frustration. To seek the things of God is the way to contentment and fulfillment. Over and against the Gentiles who seek and crave and are anxious about physical things, we as Christ's people are to seek his kingdom. To live lives of thankfulness and gratitude to God and to recognize the care that he shows for us. How do we seek his kingdom? Well, listen to this, and we're, we're almost done here. I have to give it to you, as Jesus gave it, in a summary form, but here it is. And listen to this. How do we seek his kingdom? We do it, beloved, by acknowledging God as sovereign in our thinking and our choices and our decisions and our actions in the way we speak to one another, in our time management, in our worship attendance, in our worship participation, in our service to the church, in our service to one another, our giving, our family life, our work ethic. In short, whatever we do in thought, word, or deed, we do it all in a way that is consistent with the law of the kingdom of God and submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. Do you want a New Year's resolution that will glorify God and tend toward your happiness? Make it that. Let us do that. Jesus concludes then in in verse 34, well, he concludes that statement by saying that if we seek God, if that, are, if that is our focus, his kingdom and his righteousness, we can be assured that all these things are being given to us, that are being added to us. We don't have to worry. We don't have to be anxious. And then Jesus concludes there in verse 34 by saying, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That sort of interprets itself. Don't worry about the day. Don't add to the troubles of the day. The day will have its own trouble. Don't add to it by being anxious for things that you can't change anyway. While each day has its own problems, it is equally true and equally especially calming and comforting if we will grab it and believe it that the Lord's blessings and the Lord's mercies are also new every morning. We sang Great is Thy Faithfulness a few minutes ago and we rejoice in that faithfulness too, right? So let us resolve, beloved, to not be anxious over those things but to trust God and let us resolve to seek the things 
of God, to seek the things of his kingdom as we go forward into this year. And to that, let us say, amen. Our Father, we we thank you for your care. We thank you for your promise of your care. And we pray that you'd help us to, well, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to believe you. We pray that you would help us to believe that you care for us and that you will give us what we need. Give us, Lord, the strength to to do what you call us to do. But, Lord, help us. And by your Spirit, Lord, remove from us the worry that is so unnecessary, that is so so sinful, that is so dangerous, that is so misguided, that is so useless, Lord. And help us to seek you, to seek your kingdom, to seek those things that that are eternal, And as we do, Lord, help us to to lay up for ourselves treasure, not on earth, but in heaven, Lord. And we'll thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.